Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sin is a slippery slope. And in our Lenten series so far, we've seen the extent of Peter's slide into sin. Remember back all the way to Ash Wednesday when we saw Peter's pride and his overconfidence in himself? We examined his spiritual complacency, his his utter misunderstanding of what it means to be forgiven and to forgive others, as well as his misunderstanding of the mission of Jesus. And last week, Pastor Don reminded us of Peter's distant discipleship. And we've gone through all this, and we've examined it closely, but it's, but it's not to point the finger at Peter and so feel better about ourselves, but rather it's been to see how relatable Peter is to us. We see ourselves in Peter. And so his slippery slope of sin has been leading to this, this watershed moment for Peter, the moment of his denial of Jesus and And so we might wonder, is there any hope for Peter? And especially if we continue to see ourselves in him, is there any hope for us? Just think back to those events that have been taking place that Thursday night, up up to the moment when the rooster crows at the break of day. Peter had, had started it all by boldly vowing his undying loyalty to Jesus there in the upper room, that he would never fall away even if everyone else does. And then he continued by falling asleep in the garden, and and then fighting back with violence, swinging his sword to accomplish the mission that that he thinks Jesus had come to accomplish. But after Jesus is taken captive, Peter and all the disciples, they're overwhelmed by fear, and so they flee, but but Peter still wants to follow, but at at a safe distance. He wants to see the end. Matthew's gospel tells us. So that tells us where Peter's mind is in all of this. He thinks this is the end. And so tonight we hear Peter venturing into the court of the high priest's house where Jesus has been taken to endure a sham of a trial. And and Peter's there in the courtyard and the night is cold and the warmth of the fire is inviting. And and Peter approaches that fire with, with some of the other servants of the house. But this would be his undoing. The light of the fire is bright enough that a a servant girl, she starts studying his face. And and she asserts that that she thinks Peter has been with Jesus. And so Peter's fear is rekindled as he stands by that fire and he lies and he says, Woman, I do not know him. And so he's in the clear, but only for a moment. A little later, someone else sees Peter and says, You also are one of them, meaning one of the disciples. And again, Peter denies it, saying, man, I am not. And so an hour goes by, and still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilee. And again, Peter denies it as strongly as he can. Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And by now, Peter has made it absolutely clear, perhaps even more clearly than than he realized, By the time the rooster crowed, Peter has denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus predicted. Obviously, we can sympathize with Peter and the fear that he may have felt in that moment. He didn't yet realize what what all of this was, was leading up to. 
We're not excusing his sin or his denial of Jesus, but I think at least we can rationalize what brought him to that point. But I think so often there's also a part of us that says to ourselves, it says, well, if I had been there, well, I wouldn't have done that. Or, or at the very least, we say, well, well, knowing what I know now, I certainly wouldn't have done what Peter did. I would never deny Jesus. I don't deny Jesus, not like Peter did. If we find ourselves saying something like that, even if it's just to ourselves, well, then I think we actually have a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to deny Jesus, as well as its opposite, what it means to confess Jesus. Because a confession of Jesus, if a confession of Jesus, only means that we're admitting that we're a Christian when we're asked, well, then this is actually a shallow definition of a confession. Yes, confessing Jesus includes that, but it's also so much more. This isn't an, an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but consider the following ways that we confess Jesus in our lives and consider also how it is that you or I may fall short of making this confession. We confess Jesus when we stand up for the authority of Scripture and his word, not trying to lessen it or make it seem more acceptable or sensible or palatable in our modern society. But any time that we give the impression that we need to somehow lower the standard of inerrancy or infallibility or the inspiration of Holy Scripture, well, that is to deny Jesus. We confess Jesus when we confess that he is God and that his ways are not our ways and that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that he alone is in control as Lord and King, and we seek to do his will, not the other way around, but to act like we are in charge of our own lives and to desire our will over his will, well, that is to deny Jesus. We confess Jesus when we confess our need. For him, yet yeah, that is, that is, we know that that he is our savior, because we are in fact people that need saving. We confess him when we confess our sins to God, admitting that that we are not perfect, and that we often fall short and need his forgiveness. And and we confess Jesus when we confess our sins to others, and and in humility admit when we are wrong. But to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to whether that's before God or before other people, or to say that we don't need forgiveness, is to deny Jesus. We confess Jesus when we hear false doctrine or false teaching in a situation where where we have a vocational responsibility to respond, whether that's as a pastor or a teacher or a fellow Christian or a parent or as a friend. And we use that opportunity to share the truth of what God's word truly teaches. But to fail to speak the truth in love is to deny Jesus. And we confess Jesus when we lovingly share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others whenever we have the opportunity to do so. But failing to share our faith is to deny Jesus. 
You see, denying or confessing Jesus is not just a rare circumstance, kind of like the one that Peter found himself in. It may be true that we would or wouldn't have done the same as Peter did that night by the fire, but but what we should really be focusing on is what it means to confess or deny Jesus in our daily lives, because the truth is a confession of Jesus is not simply situational. A confession of Jesus involves our entire lives. Everything we do, whether it's in public or in private, whether it's around others or whether it's all by ourselves, everything in thought, word, and deed is is either one of two things. It's either a faithful confession of Jesus or it's a denial of Jesus. There's no middle ground. And so when we begin to evaluate ourselves and evaluate our own lives in that light, we can easily see how we all fall short. And so Jesus' own words come to mind in a terrifying way when he said, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Those are convicting Words. They are scary. They are overwhelming. But I think it can help better explain what Peter must have felt in that moment as Thursday night turned into Friday morning. Luke's gospel is unique in that it's the only gospel that records this glance that's shared between Jesus and Peter at the moment when Peter denies him. Think about it. Peter is in the house enduring physical and spiritual slander and abuse. But as Peter denies that he even knows Jesus, whether it was through an open window or between columns of the house or something like that, Jesus and Peter lock eyes. And Peter in that moment realizes the sinful depths of what he has done. But there's another reason that Jesus looks at Peter, even if Peter didn't realize it at that time. And it was to communicate with Peter why Jesus was there in the first place. In fact, that's why Jesus told Peter that all of this would happen ahead of time. Everything from Jesus' arrest to Peter's denial to Jesus' suffering and death. Jesus knew that it was all going to happen exactly the way that it did. And yet... Jesus still chose to complete that journey. And the reason that Jesus was completing that journey was for Peter. And it was for us as well. Jesus' look to Peter communicated compassion and love, not condemnation. And Peter could see Jesus where he was and And as Peter looked at Jesus, he could see what the consequences of his sins were and the sins of the entire world, which is what brought Jesus to that spot. And so Peter wept bitter tears. But those tears would not stay bitter. Those tears were redeemed into tears of joy the moment when Jesus spoke with Peter on the shores by the sea after Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus, in effect, was telling Peter at that moment, I still want you as my disciple, Peter. 
Three times you denied me, and so three times I will call you to follow me and feed my sheep. I forgive you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. Jesus forgave and restored Peter. And Jesus forgives and restores us as well. Jesus died to forgive all of your sins as well as mine. To forgive all of the ways in which we fall short of faithfully confessing Jesus every day of our lives. From the most dramatic moments, but also to the most mundane moments. You see, Jesus is always drawing you to himself. He is always forgiving all of your sins. He is always calling you to continually follow him. To confess him, not just once, but in every single moment of every single day. And when you fall, and we all will fall, we know that he picks us up. He forgives us and restores us to keep walking with him. I'm sure that you've all seen a weather vane with a rooster on top of a barn or a house. But do you know that that tradition started with churches in Europe and even some in America? To have a rooster on top of the steeple at at the highest point of the building? And in fact, it used to be more common than not that you would see an emblem of a rooster on top of a church. Almost all the churches in Europe had them at some point. And the reason for this is that it goes all the way back to our gospel reading this evening, this account of of Peter and the rooster. In fact, the rooster became synonymous with with Peter. It was in the late 500s or maybe the early 600s that Pope Gregory I declared that not only was the rooster a suitable emblem for St. Peter, but that the rooster is a suitable emblem for all Christians. The rooster is a symbol of being called to repentance, a a call to humbly admit our shortcomings and sin. And and when Peter heard that rooster crow, his, his sin and his denial of Jesus came into sudden and stark contrast for him. And so when the rooster is seen atop a church, it reminds the people to confess their sins as they approach God. But the other reason that a rooster is a suitable emblem for all Christians is because it also symbolizes the dawning, the heralding of a new day. After all, even the rooster that Peter heard was greeting the new day's light. And even though Peter may not have realized the importance that were to take place that that Friday with the crucifixion and all, all else that was going on, And also looking forward to the bright light that was to come on Easter morning. It was all taking place to bring to this world. All those events were taking place to bring to this world new light and new life. Jesus forgives all of our sins and gives us new and eternal life. So that rooster is simultaneously calling us to repentance while also pointing us forward toward everything that Jesus did to forgive our sins and to bring the light of a new day. We fail to confess Jesus in our lives the way that we should. We all too often deny him in various ways by our thoughts and our words and our deeds. But Jesus looks upon us not with condemnation, but with compassion and love. 
And we see everything that he was willing to endure for our sake so that we might be forgiven all of our sin. And because we are forgiven, we see the dawning of a new day of light and life in Jesus. And so we do go out from here gladly confessing our faith in Jesus. Not because we are perfect, but because he is perfect for us. This is our Lenten journey. And this is the story of Jesus and Peter and each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.